At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Amen, amen. Good morning. Uh, if we've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Kurt McDonnell. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the church, uh, and this morning it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, church family, uh, I want to read us a verse this morning, and the verse that I'm about to read, I know that you already know, but can I read you a verse that you already know? It, it is from one of the uh, most important books in all of the Bible, that is the book of Romans. It's from one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible, that is chapter 8 of Romans, and it is Romans 8, 28, and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that the firstborn among many brothers. So I love how this verse begins. It begins with, and we know, we, we know there are many things, church family, that we cannot know. We cannot know the future, but this is something that we can know. And what the apostle Paul here is telling us is that we can know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. And so that means every aspect of your life. That means nothing slips through the cracks. God is at work in your life for your good. Can I preach today? Y'all want, I mean, I already started preaching. I'm going to preach today. So he's already working in your life. Nothing slips through the cracks. He is working for your good. Well, specifically, what good? Well, this verse then in 29 tells us, because it says, look, look, look. It says, according to the purposes, verse 29, for, so he's referring back to the good that God is working all things in your life, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So verse 29 is explaining to us that the good that he does is to make you more like Jesus. Amen. That that's the good that he's doing in your life. That he is leveraging every aspect of your life so that you can be conformed into the image of his son. He's making you more like Jesus with every single aspect of your life. This is what he is doing. So God takes the painful things. He takes the beautiful things. He uses heartbreaking things. He uses joyful things. He uses the extraordinary things. He also uses the mundane things to conform you into the image of his son. He also says this, the apostle Paul also says this in Ephesians. He's, he's using this same idea in Ephesians chapter one, verse 11. It says this, in him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works. There it is again, all things, somebody say all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. He, he's working everything in your life to conform you into the image of his son. The, the painful things, the beautiful things, all of it. He, he's, he's doing all of it. Now, I say all that to say, or to ask, rather, this question. How does he do that? <laughs> the simple answer is, he's God. I mean, it, it's, it's a profound thing if we really understand what this is saying. Again, I just said that this is probably one of the most important scriptures in all the Bible and one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. 
But as we go to understand it, that God is working all things for our good, meaning he's using every aspect of our life to conform us into the image of his son, then the question is, <laughs> how, do, how does he do that? Well, he does it because he's God. But listen, here, here's the point. More specifically, he does it because he has the power and authority over all things. If he doesn't have the power and the authority over everything, then he cannot work all things together for our good. But by virtue of him having the power and the authority over everything, he can use all things for our good. So uh, There should have been four or five more amens on that. So if you're taking notes, Jesus has power and authority over all. That's, that's how. So when Jesus speaks, galaxies come into existence and they belong to him because he has power and authority over all. And so here's what you need to know. Jesus is Lord over every area of your life. He has authority over every, every area of your life because you belong to him. So not only does he have all power and authority to do as he wishes in whatever area of your life he wishes to do, he does all. All of that for your good. And so in our text today, we're going to see the power and the authority of Jesus on display. He has the power and authority over everything in the natural world. That's why when he stands up and rebukes the storm, it stops because he has power and authority to do so. But not only is the power and authority of Jesus on display in the natural world, it's also on display in the supernatural world. Because when he rebukes these demons, thousands and thousands of demons, by his word, they must obey. Because not only does Jesus have power and authority in our lives, he has power and authority over all of the natural world, and he has power and authority over all of the supernatural world. So today in our text, we're going to see Jesus' power and authority on display. And so, church family, what are you facing? What are you dealing with next week? What are you staying up at night worrying about? Is it in the natural realm? Or is it in the supernatural realm? Or is it a, a, a bit of both? We can take heart, church family, because he has power and authority over the natural world and over the supernatural world. Take your pick. No matter which realm, natural or supernatural, Jesus has power and authority. Jesus has power and authority. Well, here's my one big idea today. You write it down if you, if you wish. One big idea. Here it is. Jesus has power and authority in every area of our life. So lay your fears at Jesus' feet. The, the disciples, did you see what happened with the disciples? When, when he calms the storm, they're, they're consumed with, with what? Fear. The, then the herdsmen, the, the herdsmen see this thing happen and the, and the herdsmen are filled with fear. And then the herdsmen go tell the townspeople and the townspeople come out and they are seized with fear. But because Jesus has all power and authority and he's actually working all things for our good, we can take our fears and lay them at the feet of Jesus. You see, if anyone else had all power and all authority over our life, there would be great reason to have fear. 
but by virtue of it being Jesus who has all power and all authority over our lives, we can lay our fears at his feet. Why? Because Jesus is the good king. He is kind. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is gracious. Jesus is merciful. Jesus has all power and all authority. Praise him this morning and lay your fears at Jesus' feet. You see, church family, if we recognize Jesus' power and authority in our life, we will have no reason to fear. Now notice, I didn't say we won't fear. I said we won't have reason to fear. We won't have reason to fear. So this morning, I am not making any kind of false promises. The, the, the promise that is on display today is not, um, if you will only have enough faith in Jesus, you won't have any fear. That's a false promise. Is anyone in the, any Christian in the room, has that been your experience? No, I've placed my, all of my faith in Jesus, and because I trust in him enough, I can live without fear. That is not the true Christian experience. No one has walked out the Christian life that way because we are sinners and we live in a fallen world. But what is promised to us is that if we will take our fears to Jesus, we can lay them at his feet. And, and he will carry those fears for us. So the Christian life is not trust in God and live without fear. It's when we do fear, take it to the Lord in prayer. Because he has power and authority over all. Well, that's the sermon. I said I was going to preach, and I'm, I'm basically done preaching. My job now uh, is to take you to the text and prove to you that's what the text says. That, that's, what, that's what a preacher should do. Amen? Amen? So let me walk us through our outline, and then we will dive into our text today. First, Jesus displays his authority over the natural world. Jesus is going to display his authority over the natural world in verses 22 through 24. Then the disciples respond. The disciples respond in verse 25. Thirdly, we'll see Jesus displays his authority over the supernatural world in verses 26 through 33. And fourthly, the herdsmen and the people respond. Again, all three of these groups that are responding here, they all, they all respond with fear. And the question is not if we will have fear in our lives. The question is what do we do with fear when we have it? What do we do with fear when we have it? Well, again, I encourage you to get out your Bibles and go through this text with me so you can make sure I'm not making it up as I go. Here we go. First, Jesus displays his authority over the natural world in verses 22 through 24. On one day, he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Um, Luke here just says one day. He doesn't give us any type of time specifics of what day this actually was. But if you go read the parallel account in the Gospel of Mark, we know that this happens directly after he just got done preaching. Okay, so, so he has taught the parable of the soils that we looked at last week. He's taught the parable of light, which we looked at last week. So he's been preaching. And if you don't know this, um, these, the sermons that we see about, from Jesus, these are abridged sermons. How do we know that? Well, because you can read it in about five minutes, and, and I promise Jesus preached longer than that. We know that the crowds came, and Jesus preached all day, which is why, incidentally, they were there all day, and they didn't have any food, and then he feeds the 5,000. So you, you get my point. J Jesus has been preaching all day, which is why <laughs> we see what he does in verse 23. And as they sailed, what happened? He fell asleep. 
Now, you might not understand what I'm saying, but I understand what I'm saying. But uh, preaching, preaching is exhausting. It's physically exhausting. Uh, it's also mentally exhausting. Preaching a sermon is like doing 30 to 40 minutes of intense cardio while solving complex math problems. That, that's, that's pretty much uh, what it's like. I actually read a study this week that said a 30 to 40 minute sermon is the physical equivalent of an eight hour workday of a physically demanding job. And, and so like <laughs> one, one time I preached Four times in one day, I had two in the morning and two at night, and I felt like I was dead. That was I preached four sermons in one day. But here, Jesus just preaches all day, all day long. And so when he gets into the boat, uh, he actually goes, again, if you go read uh, Mark's account, he, he goes into the back of the boat. There's a seat and a cushion, and he lays down, and he goes, he goes to sleep. Look at what happens next. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and... They were filling with water and were in danger. Just a little bit of geography for you. Uh, the Sea of Galilee sits about 700 feet below uh, the sea level, and it's right next to Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet above sea level. So you, you have this uh, immense cold air coming down off of the mountain, down onto the low, warm seawater, and it creates all of these weather systems. And so uh, these kind of storms popping up was a... Uh, was a, a thing that happened on a regular basis. And so it says that the, the boat is filling up with water and they're in danger. So I want you to get this scene in your head. Can you, can you see the picture? It's dark. Again, he's been preaching all day and now they're going across the sea, mind you, into Gentile territory. We'll talk about that in a minute. Going across the sea into Gentile territory at night and these experienced fishermen and sailors are scared. They're in danger because water is coming into the boat. They're being tossed to and fro. The water level inside the boat keeps rising. They, they, they most likely have buckets. They're bailing water out, but the water keeps on coming into the boat. They're trying not to fall out of the boat as they're doing all of this. And, and the reality is that the Sea of Galilee is huge. It's not as if they could have just, you know, doggy paddled back to the shore. In some places, the Sea of Galilee is 140 foot deep. They know that if the boat sinks, they are are dead. The situation looks very grim. The reality is they are beginning to become overwhelmed with fear because of the circumstances they are in. Church family, I wonder if you've ever been overwhelmed with your fear because of the circumstances you were in. Or maybe you, like them, felt like that Jesus was asleep in the middle of your storm. Here, Jesus is asleep in the middle of their storm, and they're overwhelmed and overcome with this fear, this fear of death, this fear of drowning. Look at verse 24. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. Again, if you go read the parallel account in Mark, they actually asked Jesus this question, don't you care that we're dying? On the <laughs> These guys are, are terrified. I mean, Again, it's, it's a bad day on the lake. It's a bad day on the sea when the sailors have to ask the carpenter for help. Amen. <laughs> Again, I don't imagine they played rock, paper, scissors to see who was going to go wake Jesus up. I don't imagine they, they gently, you know, uh, shook Jesus and said, sorry to, 
disturb your nap. You know, a few of the other guys are getting a little bit nervous. You know, it, it, this is total chaos. This is, they're, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're bailing water, they're shaking Jesus, waking him up, yelling, uh, you know, don't you even care that we're dying? We're, we're going to die. You know, they're, they're freaking out. Let's, let's look at Jesus' response. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Don't you, don't you want to know what he said? <laughs> I, want to know, I want to know what he said, but it, it just says he, he, he got up and he rebuked it. Bad storm. That, that's, just my, that's my imagination. He rebukes, he rebukes the storm. And, and, it, and it obeys. So to answer their question, did he care? Yes, of, of course he cared. The, the problem was their fear. The disciples' fear had overpowered their assurance of Jesus' power and authority. I wonder if that's ever happened to you. Has, has your fear overwhelmed your assurance of Jesus' power and Jesus' authority? You see, it was the, it was the circumstance that, that had done this because... The, they had seen him heal the sick. As a matter of fact, they had seen him bring a person back from the dead. They had seen him cast out demons. They had seen him perform all of these miracles. But the, the circumstance they found themselves in that brought within them this fear, and the fear actually robbed them of their assurance that Jesus did have all power and authority. I, I imagine if they were... If they were back on shore, if you were to ask them, hey, do you, if you guys got in trouble, like, do you think Jesus would help? Like, if, if you guys were in a life-threatening situation, do you think Jesus would help? I'm sure back on the shore, they would have said, of course he would. But here they are in the midst of the situation, and they are not sure he still has power and authority. But he does. He has power. He has power. You see, the fear in their circumstances caused them to doubt that Jesus had the power. In addition, not only did they doubt his power, but they doubted his authority. Jesus had said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Jesus didn't say, let's go to the middle of the lake and drowned. And it is by his authority that they were going to get across the lake because he had said, this is what we are going to do. You see, church family, there is a big difference in having fears and living in fear. That, that is two totally different things. So church family, how often do we affirm God's power and authority on Sunday morning and then go out and live in fear, proving that we don't actually believe it? Again, there's a big difference between having fears and living, and living in fear. If you're, if you're taking notes, church family, jot this down. Don't let fear overpower your assurance of Jesus' power and authority. Don't let fear overpower your assurance of Jesus' power and authority. Secondly, we're going to see in our outline, the disciples then respond. Look at verse 25. He said to them, where is your faith? Now, to be clear, Jesus is not asking them not to be afraid. Not in this text anyway. Not here in this situation. This was a scary situation. They're in the middle of the lake. The boat's filling with water. They could drown and die. This is a scary situation. He doesn't say, shame on you disciples for being afraid. 
He says, where is your faith? That, that's, a, that's a really different question of why are you afraid? It's clear why they were afraid. What he asked them is, where is your faith? They were truly in a bad situation. But the problem was they did not have the faith they needed to lay that fear down at the feet of Jesus. That is what they lacked. They could not see how Jesus could get them through it. They did not see how Jesus could save them. And so how do we, how do we know if we just have fears, which is natural for us fallen sinners, versus being gripped by fear and owned by your fear? Again, because I'm saying those are two different things. Again, there's a, a, a big difference between having fears and living in fears. So what is the difference? Well, one of the main differences is, is if your fear is leading you into hopelessness, then you are gripped by fear. I'm going to say that again. I want you to think about that deeply. What's the difference between just having fears and living in fears? Or what's the difference between having fears and being gripped by them? If your fear leads you into hopelessness, then you have been gripped by that fear. That, that fear now, now owns you. If you're taking notes, again, look at what Jesus says. He, he says, where is your faith? And so jot this down. Being gripped by fear shows that we have very little faith. Being gripped by fear shows that we have very little faith. Again, we're going to have fears. No, like, let's, let's get all of that stuff out of here. Like, you know, I ain't afraid of nothing. You know, no, I, I live fearless. Okay, fine, whatever. If that works for you, keep lying to yourself. Um, but for the rest of us who have the courage enough to be honest with ourselves, to say, yes, we, I really do have a fearful heart in these particular areas, it's understanding that we take those fears to the feet of Jesus and don't allow them to consume us and grip us and, and, run, and run our lives. Um, <clears throat> when I was growing up, my, uh, my dad uh, worked in um, construction, building, building houses and, and commercial buildings. And um, as you know, in, in that industry, there's, there's lots of ups and downs in the market. The, the market changes a, a whole lot. And um, so all throughout my childhood, there were several different times where where there would be layoffs and um, my dad would be out of work because of the construction industry. And um, that one, of the, one of the most pivotal things in my life that I, that I ever saw um, was that my dad took that fear and laid it at the feet of Jesus and led us in that as a family. I, I, would, be I would be worried. Like, what are we going to do, Dad? He would say, Jesus is going to take care of us, son. And sure enough, a week would go by, a couple days would go by. Another builder would call. Hey, we're putting it in a new neighborhood over here. You want to go to work? Dad would say, yep, and be right back at work. I'm not saying that he wasn't afraid. I'm saying that he didn't allow that fear to grip him and dominate him. And he, he put that as an example in front of us to trust in the Lord and lay your fears at Jesus' feet. I'm, I'm grateful for him. Look again at verse 25. And he said to them, where is your faith? What did they do? And they were what? Afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. See, their fear of drowning and death had turned into fear of Jesus. But, but listen, not the type of fear where they were terrified of him, where they wanted to get away. 
But this type of fear turned it into a deep respect and reverence for Jesus, so much so that they continued to follow him. That's what it means to lay, lay your fears at the feet of Jesus. See, church family, there was, <laughs> there was another prophet that we know of in the Bible who was asleep in a boat during a storm. <laughs> Y'all remember him? His, his name was Jonah, and he was running away from the call of God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But here we see Jesus asleep in a boat, and he's not running away from the call of God to preach to the Gentiles, but he's running towards the call of God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And where Jonah uh, had to be also awakened by terrified sailors, just like Jesus was, Jonah had to be tossed into the sea so that it would stop. But Jesus here speaks a word, and the storm is over. Amen, amen. Thirdly, in our outline, Jesus displays his authority over the supernatural world. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerizines, which is opposite Galilee. This is a predominantly Gentile region. Do you remember, you remember what happened right before they sailed away from last week? We looked at the parable of the soils. We looked at uh, the parable of light. And then his family comes to him. You remember what he says? My family are those who hear my word and obey it. Jesus then leaves and goes to a Gentile region, putting on display the extent of his family. My family is not just this one Jewish nation. My family is all nations everywhere. Jesus here is showing them that he is not going to have a monoculture, monoethnic religion, but he is opening it up to all religions, all ethnicities, all cultures everywhere to accept him as king. So he, so he goes across to this Gentile region. Look at verse 27. When Jesus stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons for a long time, who'd worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. This man has been kicked out of society. Uh, he, he is there living in the tombs. He has uh, been driven insane by his possession of uh, being possessed by these demons. Mark's account includes that this man uh, was cutting himself with stones and crying out. So you just get this, this picture in your mind of what sin and uh, demonic forces does to humanity. I mean, he's, he's naked. He, he, he is cutting himself. He's crying out. He's not living in a home, but living in the tombs. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible, sad state of a human. When Jesus, 28, when Jesus saw him, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. What's interesting about this is we just concluded that section where the disciples see him calm the storm and they ask this question. The question is, who, who is this? Here, here the demon knows who he is. Here the demon says he is the son of the most high God. And he begs him not to torment him. Look at verse 29. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Apparently, the, these demons that had uh, possessed him were giving him supernatural strength to uh, break apart these chains and bonds, and he would flee. He would flee again. Look at verse 30. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. 
for many demons had entered him. Now, uh, the name legion is a Roman military term. It it describes a unit of soldiers, uh, upwards of 6,000 men. So this man is is not possessed just by one demon. He's, He's possessed literally by thousands of demons. Now, let me just say this about the next part of the story. The next part of the story is very strange. The next part of the story, we're essentially going to leave a lot of questions on the table unanswered because we don't understand it. Uh, I read many, many commentaries, and they're all going, we don't know. <laughs> so, so when you get to heaven, go to the Lord and be like, hey, man, uh, like the pig thing, what, what's going on there? Let's read it. Verse 31 and 33. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Anybody else have 37 questions about this? (laughs) So the the first part here, uh, they begged him not to depart into the abyss. That's uh, understandable enough. The the abyss is that place of uh, punishment and retention uh, for Satan and demons. Okay, so go go, uh, flip to Revelation 20. You'll see that Satan is cast into the abyss forever uh, at the final return of Christ. Okay, so that's clear enough. They don't want to be punished and contained. Clear enough. Now, a large herd of pigs, again, pigs being unclean to Gentiles, uh, to, to, to Jews, uh, but this being in a Gentile area, they, they had pigs there. They were feeding on the hillside. And they begged him to let, to let them go into the pigs. I don't know. <laughs> do, do they need a host, possibly? Why the pigs? Why not the townspeople? Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, so... So then why does Jesus give them permission? Why doesn't Jesus say no to the abyss with you? I don't know. Um, in addition, why, if they needed a host, why do the pigs then run down the hill and commit swinicide? Like, what's, what's, what's going on here? Was it, was it the pigs being possessed? The pigs ran down the hill. Or was it the demons in the pigs driving them down the hill? Also... Think about this, if there are 6,000, several thousand demons inside of this man, is that one pig per demon? So we're talking about a herd of 6,000 pigs or multiple demons uh, in one pig? Lord, help us. Uh, what? So, so but before, before we kind of get lost in the fog, Church family, these questions in our minds can, can lead us down strange and weird paths, but what we need is a beam of light from the lighthouse uh, to lead us back to some type of clarity. So here it is. Take, jot this down. Jesus has power and authority over Satan and demons. What's going on with the pigs? Uh, how many? Uh, why did they? We, we don't know. Here's what we do know. Jesus told them to leave this man, and they did. That this is the combined force of thousands of demons 
And Jesus does not break a sweat. Jesus does not squint his eyes and have to grit his teeth. Jesus doesn't have to go into an all-night prayer vigil. Uh, Jesus doesn't have to scream at the heavens. Jesus just says, get out of the man, and they do. And they do because Jesus has power and authority over Satan and demons. He is in control. He has already displayed his dominance over Satan in the 40 days that he was in the wilderness. And he is showing his sovereign command to cast out demons and they must listen. And he makes this final cry of victory over all Satan and demons on the cross. Church family, it says this. In Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. That's what happened on the cross. He put Satan and demons all in the spiritual realm. He put them to open shame on the cross. So while it looked like Jesus was being put to open shame on the cross as he was stripped and beaten and hung there like a criminal, what was actually happening in the spiritual world is that he was putting them to open shame by defeating them on the cross. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. He is the one who rules over all, and this is the good news. In addition, what we're also seeing here, so we don't get lost uh, with the, the pigs and the, the possession here. Again, I want us to see that Jesus has power and authority over Satan and demons. But in addition, Jesus values the redemption of this man more than he values these pigs. So, again, is it Jesus willing these pigs down the hill? The text is not clear, but even if it was Jesus willing the death of these pigs or causing the death of these pigs by permitting the demons to enter them, first off, they're Jesus's pigs. He can do with them what he wants. In addition, you ate bacon, so there's that. Um, He valued this man more than he valued this herd of pigs. Seeing this man redeemed and restored was more important to Jesus. Fourthly in our outline, let's look at the herdsmen and the people's response. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his, in his right mind. This, this term, sitting at the feet of Jesus, meant that uh, he was there as his disciple. This man was not only freed from his demons, but he was converted to be a follower of Christ. And there he is sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning the gospel of Jesus Christ. He he is now a disciple, just a total transformation from being out of his mind, uh, not, not wearing any clothes, living in the tombs. And now here he is clothed in his right mind and now a follower of, of Jesus Christ. And what was all of the people's response? Look at the the end of of that verse there, and they were afraid. When they saw the transformation in this man's life, they they were terrified of Jesus. But again, this was a different type of fear than the disciples had. The disciples had reverent fear, which drew them towards Christ, but these people had a consuming fear, a gripping fear that pushed them away from Christ, and they wanted him to leave. Look at this, verse 36 and 37, and those who He had sent it, told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. This is so important. Look at this. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. They were were seized with great fear. They did not lay their 
fear at the feet of the one who had all power and authority. Rather, they were gripped by their fear. They were seized by their fear. They were consumed by their fear, and they pushed Jesus away. The reality is, church family, if we recognize Jesus' power and authority in our life, we will have no reason to fear. I didn't say we won't have fears. I said we won't have any reason to fear. And, and I want to tell you this morning, church family, I, I have a fearful heart. I have a fearful heart. Can, can, you, can your pastor be honest with you this morning? There, there, are, there are things in, in my life that, that terrify me. And, and so I finally, I mean, I, I continually just find myself uh, having to, to, to return to Jesus again and again. This is not a one and done thing, church family. It, it's not as if I, I have this consuming fear and I, I, I leave it at the feet of Jesus and I walk away and it's gone from my heart forever. At least that's not my experience. I find this needs to be a daily thing to where I'm going to Jesus with my fears and I'm saying, Lord, I'm, I'm scared of this. Would you, would you take this because I'm scared of it? Parents in the room, are you, are you scared of messing your kids up? I am. I'm scared I'll be too strict. I'm scared I'll be too lenient. I'm scared I, I won't say the right thing at the right time. I'm scared of messing my kids up. So, I mean, is the answer just have enough faith and I won't be scared? I, I, don't, I don't know any Christian that that's been their experience. My experience has been I have that fear, I recognize it, and I take it to the Lord, and I leave it at his feet. Listen, I'm scared uh, of disqualifying myself as a pastor. I know lots of my close pastor friends who have done it, and I see the damage that it's caused, and I'm terrified that that'll happen to me. I'm not any better than them. I'm not more spiritual than those other pastors that disqualified themselves. I'm, I'm here because of the grace of God, and I'm afraid that I'll mess it up. So what do I do with that fear? Do, do I allow it to, to grip me and consume me, paralyze me? It's a, day, it's a daily thing. I, I, just, I have to take it to the Lord. Lord, I'm scared I'm going to mess up my kids. I'm scared I'm going to disqualify myself from ministry and, and, and hurt people's spiritual lives. I mean, Lord, would you, th those are my fears. Here's another one. I'm, I'm scared of not being prepared. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I'm weird like that. I have a reoccurring nightmare. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is real life now. Can, again, can I, can I be real? Can your pastor open up his heart this morning? I have a reoccurring fear. It's a reoccurring dream that I have that um, I'm at church and people are pushing me towards the stage. And listen, I don't have my notes. I'm not prepared. And they're like, no, you got to go, man. It's time. And I'm like, but I don't know what to say. And they're like, well, it's time for you to go. And, I, and I, I, the dream ends with me standing on stage and all of you are looking at me and I have no idea what to say. Come on, That's terrifying. That's terrifying. It's a reoccurring fear. And so what do I do with that? Right? Again, not, like, not to be too silly with it, but the, like, the honest reality is like sometimes you guys ask me really difficult questions. Here's the situation I'm in. What do I do, pastor? And I'm afraid to not be prepared to give you the right answer when you need it. I'm scared of that. So what do I do with that fear? I, I, have, to, I have to take it to the Lord. I have to do it again. And tomorrow when I wake up, 
my heart is probably going to be seized with those same fears. And you know what I have to do? I have to do it again and do it again and do it again. Write this down. This is, this is the application of our sermon today. Acknowledge your fear and give it to Jesus in prayer. Acknowledge your fear and give it to Jesus in prayer. It's, it's naming it. It's na- naming your fear, just like I just did in front of all you folks. Go to your community group, get in your DNA group, go to your spouse, acknowledge your fear. Again, don't, don't play that, oh, I'm not scared of nothing. Huh? Like, don't play that game. Be, be honest about where you really are. Acknowledge your fear and take it to the Lord in prayer. And when you wake up tomorrow and you feel consumed by those same fears, you don't have to feel like a failure. Like, I, I gave that fear to the Lord yesterday and it's, it's back here again. I'm such a failure. Take it to him again. And when you wake up and you feel consumed with that same fear again, take it to him again. Well, our time is almost gone, and we've got two verses left. Let's look at it. Verses 38 and 39. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God God has done for you. And he went away, watch this, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I, I, I'm not sure how much of the hypostatic union uh, this man had worked out, but uh, apparently he knew who Jesus was. What is, what is crazy, when this man was filled with demons, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus, but being transformed by Jesus, he's willing to go anywhere with Jesus. Absolutely in, incredible. Why doesn't he permit him to go with him? Uh, possibly because uh, having a Gentile uh, there with him in, in his ministry, in his inner circle, would have ended his ministry to the Jewish people, and he wasn't done with that yet, or some other unknown reason. We don't know. Uh, but what we do know is that he sends this man on a mission. He sends this man on a mission with a message. Again, the message to be, tell him what Jesus did in your life. T- tell him what God has done. It was, it was that simple, and apparently this man does just that. And so, again, Jesus this morning, church family, is not asking you to pretend like you don't have problems, like your problems aren't real. Jesus is not asking you to pretend like you don't have real things in your life that you are afraid of. Jesus is not asking you to pretend like there aren't real problems. He is, however, asking you to trust him. And so, are you filled with fear this morning? Are you gripped with anxiety? Are you being consumed with worry? Are you like me? If so, Jesus has all power and all authority, and he loves you. And this morning, Jesus is inviting you to take your fears and lay them at his feet. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we, with weak and weary, fearful and trembling hearts, come before you this morning. Oh, Lord, our worries are many. Our anxieties are innumerable, but Lord, you have all the power and all authority. And so, Lord, we come this morning laying our fears at your feet, and Lord, would you remind us to do it again and again and again. So, Lord, I pray even now, under the sound of my voice, that there would be many people all across this room, in this auditorium, right now, confessing sin and laying their fears at your feet. Lord, would you send your spirit now in a special way, your Holy Spirit, to minister to our hearts, our fearful hearts.
Lord, allow us to take those fears and unclench and unwrap our hands, which are so tightly wrapped around them, and allow us to lay them at your feet. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.